You're listening to Art Matters. I'm Farron Gibson. This series is produced by Art UK, the online home of the UK's public art collections. Our website is artuk.org, and all of our social media handles are at artuk.org, spelling out the word dot. If you like to tweet, be sure to use hashtag ArtMattersPodcast to join in the conversation. There's a touring exhibition called Virginia Woolf, an exhibition inspired by her writings that began at Tate St. Ives and is currently at Pallant House Gallery until 16th of September 2018. It's an exhibition that features artworks inspired by the life and writings of Virginia Woolf, but it also examines women artists' portrayal of self, the legacy of women in the history of art, and the idea of what makes a feminist exhibition. This type of show throws up several questions. What is feminist art? What is the female gaze versus the male gaze? And what steps can art critics and historians take to rebalance gender inequity in the art sector? I thought the best place to start to address these questions was by speaking to Laura Smith, curator of the Whitechapel Gallery and former curator at Tate St. Ives, where she organized the Virginia Woolf exhibition. It came about really because, uh, for two reasons, that I was interested in finding ways to, to bring more women artists into Tate St. Ives' program, and also because Tate St. Ives was founded with the mission to speak to the history of visual artists working in St. Ives at the turn of the century and through to kind of high modernist period. So artists like Barbara Hepworth and Ben Nicholson, Patrick Heron, Peter Lanyon, Bernard Leach um, are really significant to the history of Tate St. Ives. But what the gallery hadn't done so much was talk about the literary history of the area and how some fairly significant modernist writers were also living and working in and around St Ives, such as Virginia Woolf, but others like D.H. Lawrence, Catherine Mansfield, H.D. the poet, um, Sven Berlin. Um, These writers were um, as much a part of the kind of bohemian ideal of St Ives as the artists working there. I wanted to use Virginia Woolf and her feminism as a way of citing an exhibition of work by predominantly women artists um, in a context uh, in which a lot of it was inspired and made. So do the the works that were in this exhibition, was it women who were explicitly influenced by Virginia Woolf or is it works that you can connect to the themes of her writing? Uh, So it started um, with the former and ended with the latter. Um, I, in my original thinking about the show, um, the the works in the exhibition consisted of uh, works by artists that had a direct connection to her, that were either directly inspired by her or who, or were made by her sister or her close friends or people that she was associated with, like Dora Carrington, Dorothy Brett, Ottiline Morell, her sister Vanessa Bell. And that formed a kind of core group of artists, um, as well as contemporary artists who who cite her as a direct influence, like uh, Sarah Barker or Shana Lutka. Um, but as I continued my research, I found that structure to be quite um, 
quite limiting and uh and not necessarily in keeping with wolf's ideas around um around feminism and around women's creativity and i found this really fantastic quote by her that uh, she says in a room of one's own that as creative women we think back through our mothers Mm -hmm. so i became interested in what that matriarchal heritage and legacy might look like if I if I put Virginia Woolf in, in the center of an imagined history and trace forwards and backwards from her um, what might that um, history of women making work in the visual arts in literature in music in dance and in performance what does that look like and who might it contain if I if I expand my structure to include artists who share the same approach as her or have the same methodology towards making work. The exhibition features women artists and is centered around Virginia Woolf, who became something of a feminist icon from around the 1970s. I wondered if that context made the exhibition fundamentally feminist rather than an exhibition that simply featured female artists, as the two don't necessarily go hand in hand. I think that the exhibition is a feminist exhibition, mm-hmm. but not necessarily all of the artists in it would see themselves as feminists. And I think that's fair and that's up to them. Um, but I think in its attempt to to create and to chart this history of women making work, so it goes back as early as 1854 is the earliest work in the show, through to contemporary works made, finished the day before the exhibition opened um in that endeavor I think it's a feminist exhibition and maybe that sounds contrary but I don't really care if people have a problem with that I I think it's important and there are so many women in this show who deserve to be exhibited more Mm -hmm. and yes Wolf wouldn't have used the term because it wasn't really around uh, when she was working but if you read if you read A Room of One's Own, if you read Professions for Women, if you read Three Guineas, Three Guineas in particular, um, she's fierce about women's rights. She's absolutely um, kind of forthright and certain that she that what she's striving toward is equality for both sexes. Um, and she's, she's pretty fierce about it. She talks about burning down libraries in a kind of futurist manifesto-esque manner. Mm-hmm. Um, burning down the libraries of old white men and and starting anew. Laura mentions that Wolf wouldn't have described herself as a feminist, and it's important to remember that when discussing topics like queer artists or feminist artists, many terms we use around these topics today have come into use more recently. It's from Wolf's passions and writings that we're able to bring her into the feminist discussion, but we should be cautious of labels. She didn't actually call the the term feminism didn't really exist when she was writing, so I don't she wouldn't really have called herself a feminist. She was involved with the suffragettes mm-hmm. um, and she volunteered uh, for the suffragettes as well as for other societies that campaigned for equality. So for equality for um for everyone, not just women, so for people from um, different classes and people from different ethnicities. She was a pacifist, so, and um, she was very politically minded and very... Um, people call her a snob, and she probably was <laughs> to some extent, But and she did have a very privileged upbringing, but she but was... But those things don't seem connected to say that she was open to, you know, equal rights across various 
groups and then to say she's a snob that seems like I wonder why people made that connection I think because some of she she is snobbish about um (laughs) really honestly she's snobbish about uh kind of what she talks about as um works of literature or music or anything that isn't good enough she she's um she's quite precious about her industry so anything that she thinks is poorly done or unskilled she's she could be very rude about she's a woman with standards she was a (laughs) very high standards (laughs) there's a long documented history of men painting the female form one of the areas that struck me most about this exhibition was the idea of exploring the different ways that women represent themselves in paintings compared to men is there a difference and if so what is the subcontext of those differences so the exhibition is divided into four sections and, and it's maybe most interesting to talk about one of the sections which looks at portraiture and self-portraiture and um, the way that um, these artists have chosen to present themselves in public. And when I was imagining the exhibition, I had in my mind for a long time this kind of long wall of self-portraits and portraits of and by women staring out at you. And what I found when I was looking for these self-portraits um, and thereby artists, uh, many of whom were connected to Wolf, like Vanessa Bell, uh, Vanessa Bell's portrait of Wolf and Vanessa Bell's self-portrait, Gwen John, Dora Carrington, an artist called Louise Jopling, who is a suffragette and founded uh, the first art school for women uh, in Manchester in the 1870s when uh, she was excluded from attending art school anywhere else. Mm. Claire Atwood, who was a close friend of Virginia Woolf's portrait of Vita Sackville-West, who was Woolf's um, long-time, very close friend, um, co-worker. They helped each other with each other's writing and lover on and off. Um, so I had this this wall of images by women and um, of women and... What I found really interesting was that when they were painting themselves, depicting themselves, they um, they often painted themselves in either kind of moments of contemplation um, or seriousness or looking fairly forthright and um, they didn't beautify themselves, basically. Mm. They're not, they're, they're very different to, so there's an incredible portrait of Dodd Proctor, who was an artist working in Cornwall, um, self-portrait by her that she looks um, she looks very powerful, very quiet, and very thoughtful. Um, and it's very, very different to the painting of her by her husband, in which she looks much softer, much kinder, much more um, much more pretty. The light is very different. Um, and I don't want to make. So it's it's not about making a direct comparison, um, but I guess there's a greater freedom when you paint yourself to paint yourself however you want. And, and what I found interesting was that none of them seem to focus on making themselves beautiful. I think it's interesting to think about um, how you even just might dress at home for yourself, for your own comfort, you know, versus mm-hmm. the, the self that you present when you go out, you know, and it's like, who are you doing it for? And it's it sounds to me like these women were kind of, creating these these self-portraits for themselves yeah so it it definitely would be very different to you know how someone else looks at you or the the you that someone else might want to to project I think the psychology around a self-portrait as well as it's how it's 
you're presenting yourself for yourself, of course, but you're also, I don't think you paint a self-portrait without having an idea that it might be seen in a hundred years time or 200 years time. And so the fact that it's a self-portrait and somebody can look at it and say, oh, okay, so Vanessa Bell chose to paint herself in at an elderly stage looking tired and mm. a bit pissed off. <laughs> um, she chose that. She, she And she decided that she wanted us to see that version of her. I think that's interesting. Benicia Berry is a contemporary artist whose work often includes nude female figures. I spoke with her about what this imagery means to her and how it might be different from some of the ways that we've seen female nudes depicted in art history. I think it's very important as an artist to reflect your own life experience. And I think it's quite hard to get away from that as an artist. And so I wanted to use my own experience as a woman, but also to reflect on other experiences that women have. So my work isn't based on a particular race. It's not based on an age. I want it to reflect the every woman experience and to be relatable to women. Um, I think that female, female nudes have been painted by male artists for a long time for a male audience. You know, originally it was completely for a male audience if women weren't allowed into a gallery. Um, you know, women were, were often kept illiterate by their fathers, you know, to become these objects of admiration. Um, and someone, someone recently asked me why, they asked me why I paint female nudes and they said so why are you painting sexual paintings and I Mm. said I'm not painting sexual paintings but people assume that because I'm painting a female nude it's going to be sexualized and I just want to take that sense of sexuality away from the female nude and instead celebrate the female form something that has been so heavily critiqued and you know still today there's so many expectations for how a female nude should look um i wanted to create something that was you know normalized and not put on such a pedestal and not such an object of admiration that women have always been so do you think there's like because you mentioned like um female nudes being painted for men in, at a period so how is it what makes it different when a woman paints a woman versus a man? Is it the intent or how does it, how do how does one know it's different? So when I was looking at, I've been looking at a group of six paintings recently, one by Medigliani, one by Picasso, one Velasquez, one Jenny Savile, a Vanessa Bell and um, a Joan Erdley. And I analyzed the male artist paintings first and they all to me, First of all, I want to think who they were painting. And traditionally, lots of male artists would paint prostitutes because they were the ones hard up for money. And if they weren't painting prostitutes, often male artists would have a relationship with the nude that they were painting, you know, whether it was Mm. consensual or not. And I think there's a very... I think when looking at these particular paintings, I think the female nude very much looks like it's on a pedestal. Every woman is sort of looking down and looking like they're being watched they're aware of the viewer um Mm. I think it's clear in these paintings that the male artist has this sort of has the power you know he could make he could sort of 
really rise them up to something that they never were before. So I think there's also a real sense of curiosity from the men because as much as they might know the female nude, they aren't women. So there is always that slight sense of curiosity. There's a slight sense of admiration. Um, and there's a sense that the male artist, you know, it's, it's for a male audience. Then looking at the, the artworks by the female nudes, the first thing that struck me was that each of the women painted in these works clearly have thoughts going on in their head. And looking back on what the male artists have painted, it doesn't look like they're women who have active minds, whereas the ones painted by the female artists, they almost seem like they're very reflective. They might be self-portraits. They, there's a very sort of big sense of, sort of quite a, um, a sense of depression almost in the female artists' nudes. Like I was, I was thinking about this and thinking about the memes on Instagram, you know, expectation or reality. And each mm-hmm. one of these paintings could be seen, you know, the male artists, they look like the kind of expectation and then the reality in a sort of comical sense. And so it kind of screams to me that maybe the male artists were painting these. Idealizing. Yeah. So it seems that there's a sense of ownership and empowerment in women painting themselves, but there can be a quiet power found in other subject matters too. Even a still life in a window can be loaded with meaning. One of the most exciting things that I found was... um, so uh, when I was trying to find a structure for the exhibition, I was reading and reading Wolf, and I kept coming back to this thing that she does where she she kind of creates opposing metaphors between interiors and exteriors. So she consistently sets up um, the house and the room and the kind of domestic life and all of the trappings of Victorian domestic life that she found as a child to be quite constrictive. Um, and I think that's where a room of one's own comes from. It's a kind of reclamation of taking back that room and, and making it into a site for freedom. But that's a different, different subject. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the and, and then the exterior is kind of landscape and seascape. And um, so always there's this flip between being inside and and feeling quite contained sometimes very safe but often quite contained and all the characters have to behave and conform and then when they're outside they become much free in their con much more free in their consciousnesses um often overlap and intermingle and you can't really tell who's talking or thinking and um, one of her characters says about being outside it's like being the wind or being the sea so it becomes this much more kind of open expansive experience and what I wanted to do with the show was to mirror that so there's a, there's at the at the start of the show there's a section about landscape and 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 depictions of landscape that play with the experience of it so they have either very low horizon lines or very high horizon lines or they're kind of aerial views of imagined islands or um abstractions of of nature that make that kind of give you a feeling of of freedom um and then there's an interior section which is um much more um 
I guess, much quieter and much more contained. And it includes wallpaper designs and textile designs and ceramics and paintings of still lives by artists that were connected with her, but also contemporary artists. One of the things that I found when I was uh, working was Winifred Nicholson, who uh, was an artist working um, in St Ives and then in Ireland and then um, more consistently in Cumbria, um, who, and she was a painter. She wrote this fantastic essay about what she called windowsill still lives. Um, and a windowsill still life is, is what it sounds like. It's a still life painting, um, often of a vase of flowers or some shells or something on a windowsill with the landscape behind it. And she writes about it as a way for, and this doesn't apply to her because she was working in the, in the thirties, forties, fifties, through to the seventies. So she wasn't, um, she was allowed, allowed in inverted commas to go, outside on her own but she she writes about the window still still window still still life um as a kind of very specific genre of women's painting that allowed women to paint a landscape while painting this a quote um their rightful domain of the still life so they situate themselves inside and they're painting a still life, which is what everyone expects of them, but they're surreptitiously painting a landscape beyond through the window. Mm. Um, so it's kind of this slightly subversive act. Um, it also makes me a bit sad. It's a bit longing, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really sad. It's horrible. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> um, but when I looked, when I when I read this um, text and then, then when I started looking, I found so many paintings of windowsill still lives by Nicholson, by Frances Hodgkins, by Vanessa Bell, by Dorothy Brett, by artists earlier than them. Um, I mean, the, the, the kind of the tension in that and the sadness, like you said, is really interesting. But it's also it re- was really interesting for me in that it completely enacts that flip in wolf between inside and outside. Within art discourse, the conversation around women in art is often framed around their relationships to men. On Art UK, we have a whole article about some wonderful women artists who were obscured by their husbands. Even in my own work writing about women artists, I have to remind myself at times to keep the conversation centered on the woman artist at hand, as I discussed with Laura. What I was hoping with the show was that it would would introduce or remind um, people of the work of many of these women who are really important artists in their own right and often are talked about as the wife of or the sister of or the daughter of um significant men and i'm not i'm not um belittling the impact of those men at all i think um i think they deserve a place in art history just as much as the women that i'm talking about do but we have to not forget um that wives and sisters and mothers or women who are single and um, not related directly to um, other prominent artists are often just as valid but often um, misremembered. Even thinking outside of art, I think it's so important for women to um, just have their 
position in their own right and not to be, you know, oh, I'm so-and-so's mother, I'm so-and-so's wife. It's funny, I saw a tweet this morning, actually, that was talking about um, John Legend mm-hmm. uh, doing something. And, and the company said, husband of Chrissy Teigen. And I said, oh, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's new. Like, what? that's a different approach. <laughs> so, and they do that to George Clooney a lot with Amal Clooney, yeah. like this kind of running gag. So it's kind of nice to see it flipped on his head from time to time. Exactly. No, that is true. I've just, I've had to be very careful with this show because it's, I think it's so ingrained in us to say, oh, and she was married too, or, oh, and her yeah. brother was, um, especially if they're interesting like especially if yeah it's difficult yeah 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 but I have to every time I talk I have to say no I'm I'm talking about this person I'm not talking and also I think it's a thing that we do as society does is uh to frame women through their biographies in a way that we don't do to men the Virginia Woolf exhibition looks at works by artists from the 19th century through today I wondered how Venetia, a contemporary artist, viewed the current landscape of representing women in art. I think we're still sort of a long way away from how how women should be seen. Anish Kapoor has recently um, created a sculpture called The Dirty Corner, which is based on Marie Antoinette's vagina. And it's a huge sort of, um, there's a huge sculpture in Versailles. And I read an article which just said, you know, is this how men really do still see women in art school? At one point, you know, every phallic, every sort of pointed object was seen to be phallic. um, And every orifice was related to a vagina. And that now is almost seen as old hat. But it seems that then people like Anish Kapoor, who are very influential and very well-known artists, are still painting women in this way and with this dirty corner um sculpture the female critics were saying I can't believe he's still doing this but then male critics were saying you know it's a very deeply sensual sculpture so I think there is still a bit of a way to go and I think that male artists now painting the female form have a lot more to answer answer for than they did in the past because there's so much questioning about it. If you're interested in viewing the Virginia Woolf exhibition before it closes, it will be at Pallant House Gallery until the 16th of September 2018. After that, you can find it at the Fitzwilliam Museum, Cambridge from the 2nd of October to the 9th of December 2018. As always, thank you so much for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe to this series wherever you listen to your podcasts and be sure to join us next time.